0: In a world where the current financial order has no interest in reducing the devastating effects of climate change. One bear and one woman are taking the day off school. They kept calling Lee until she came over. They made her feel guilty. Together they'll destroy her father's 1961 Ferrari. And your heart. It's Knackers and the Vatches. Day off.
1: And welcome once more, siblings and comrades, to Neckers, Knackers, Knackers in the Vag, Vag, Vag. Knackers the bear is a commodity. I am a lady called the Vag. Knackers not only serves on those occasions to uh, bring me a sense of uh, company when I am alone, but I offer him in an attempt to shut myself up to far more interesting people than I, which on this occasion we are blessed, hashtag so blessed, to have the former Senator Lee Rhiannon. Lee Rhiannon, welcome to this podcast of middling note and welcome to the use of knackers. You are actually an excruciatingly polite person. I don't understand why (laughs) after 40 years of struggle (laughs) you you maintain your good manners. But um, I know you do have very good manners I am an incredibly self involved person. Throw the bear at me when I go on too much.
0: Well, thank you for knackers. My favourite toy when I was young was a teddy bear. So I may not throw him or her or the teddy bear. They. 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 Thank you for helping me there. And I look
1: forward to the interview. Good to be in Melbourne. Um, now, now, you are uh, recently back to the streets, uh, liberated of your obligations to uh, the thing we call democracy. How's that been going?
0: Oh, excellent. Freedom's most enjoyable. Mm. And uh, I personally, I'm enjoying life immensely. I do find politics interesting, obviously challenging times for the Greens that I still do have a passion for. So, yeah,
1: lots to talk about. Indeed. But let's, I mean, let's talk about not you um, and uh, that particular past, but more broadly, because you've seen, um, you know, close up with great scrutiny, many political eras. Mm. If you know, I mean, when we talk about the present or the or the past, when do you get? I mean, this is kind of a ridiculous question, but when do you think the the the, the present era began? Because you know, there there has been a shift, and I know I've spoken to you um enough times to know that you and I agree about certain things and, I mean, this Mm. is hardly uh, a controversial thing to say, but at some juncture or another, and this was visible in your own party as it Mm. has been in many political parties, um, an emphasis on um, uh, the individual and on, you know, personal identity coordinates eclipsed at some point the idea of, you know, the, the, the rights of the many Um, the material world, the prosperity that an individual or a massive individual's had became far less important than sort of more cultural, less tangible things? Mm. When, When would you say that period began in your life?
0: Yeah, well, I I do. One of the joys of getting old, and some people bag it out, but we all get old, is actually reflecting on your life. I'm 67, born in 51, and I was fortunate to be around with some of the big social movements like the women's movement, environment movement, um, for nuclear disarmament. Um, I grew up with the Vietnam War anti-apartheid. So that's like the end of the 60s, the 70s, a bit in the 80s. The '90s, then my I'm on my mind with three kids, so I'm dominated by that. Still involved in politics, but neoliberalism really did start to smash the left. And I often feel that, and I, and I am getting to the answer to the no, question. No, 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 I, And we're all with you, Lee. <laughs> yeah, I do feel that the left still has to examine that '90s and neoliberalism and what it did to us. I felt that. All of the left, I mean, obviously you've got Labor there, um, like the Accord really was a product of neoliberalism. Uh, they get into selling off, you know, everything, Commonwealth Bank, um, Qantas, you name it. Um, but then the 2000s, you know, they roll along. But w- So to come to the your question then, I think for me in Australia, it's maybe five years that I've felt the social movements are on the rise again. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we lag behind other um, Western countries like England and the States are still big influences on us, I think. And I find it very exciting. I never thought that I would say that uh, uh, a potential Labor government in England is, I find, pretty exciting. I have young... um
1: And it it truly... Democratic Socialist Labor Party. I I Actually, I'm not familiar with their constitution, but I know in Australia the constitution of the Labor Party names them as a Democratic Socialist Party. Yeah. Which doesn't seem to be known to anybody I can think of in the Labor Party. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Corbyn... I mean, I don't, I don't want to ask you because I feel certain or I suspect that you'll tell this story yourself about your own parliamentary past in the future, and I don't want to talk to you about that now. It's your story to tell. But it's not too probing, I, I don't think, to ask you. Um, for, for many of us, it's not really who's in power that's that interesting. Like, for example, the, the, uh, the momentum of the momentum movement mm-hmm. in, in Britain was interesting in itself. And whether or not Corbyn rises or whether or not Mélenchon in France made it to the runoff vote, or whether or not Bernie Sanders is truly a socialist, I don't think he is. But the, the, the fact of all those figures who all happen to be Um, old old white chaps, Hmm. Um, the the fact that they existed at all and the fact that they point to a particular consciousness, um, that for a lot of us, I think, was more interesting than who was in power.
0: Oh, look, I agree. And it's something that I have learned over the years. Like, what for me is so important, and it's what I feel that you're describing, is that people are being politicised. Yes. Like with the Momentum Movement, with Bernie Sanders, with you know every struggle really, small or large. I've been involved in campaigns just to get some maintenance done at schools to save sort of a few houses on a block. And within those campaigns, big and small, people start to learn where power lies and that in fact, when they work collectively together, that things can change. And that to my mind is what's critical because we're not going to solve things with one campaign that has the win mm. like life doesn't work we're about fundamentally changing the system so we have a fair just world that's big stuff it
1: is it it, it really is and um you know I think you know, in my extreme youth, I think you know a lot of my uh, emotions were attached to the political result but it um you know it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like the fact that you were a senator at all was like a, good, a, a good sign. Um, the fact that you were not perhaps always empowered to do as you uh, as you would um was was irrelevant. But when you, you know, I mean, is it? It's. I mean, it's. Do you share my kind of like, uh. Buoyant, almost optimistic feelings for younger folk. I mean, millennials. Apart from the fact that they're a huge generation, I I hold out like quite a lot of hope for them. Um, I mean, one, increasingly, they're getting an incredibly raw deal, and there's so many of them. We're actually uh, we're recording this because it was convenient um, for 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 Lee's visiting Melbourne just for a millisecond. Uh, in my union office, the MEWA, which is in the um, the ACTU building, and from this this building, um, the Change the Rules campaign. Have you've heard about Change the Rules? I'm sure Lee. And so, you know, Change the Rules, I guess, is the realisation of the union movement that a vast. Proportion of Australian workers uh, are employed as casuals or self-employed or, or independent contractors. In fact, 40% of us uh, are in those those categories. Um, I think what well, there's about uh, 11% of private sector employees in the in the union, and the union is finally the union movement is finally woken up to the fact that they need to, you know, be. Um, flexible to the conditions that they allowed to occur over the last 40 years yeah. um you may have tried um, particularly if you're a young person to join a union and found that there was really no place for you so the 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 the, the union movement has um has changed this um a, a little bit um and to circle back to the uh, initial point that I wish to make um you know, particularly if you are a millennial, you're you're very very likely, far more likely to be working in those insecure conditions. So you're pissed off with your your lot as a worker, which probably flies in the face of everything that you've been taught. You know, like go to university, get some expertise, and you'll you know you'll be rewarded. But the other thing is, and I mean at my age, I often make mistakes and I don't sort of keep up with what is oftentimes their excellent awareness of you know everyday prejudice and and what have you but they've got both of those things going on they've got that growing awareness that they're financially insecure um extraordinary levels of education mm. and um you, you know also this this real consciousness of 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 social tolerance so they come to She's waving the bear. <laughs> so, 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 so they come to a potential movement with much more than I'd say my my generation, generation. or even your oh, yeah, generation absolutely. had.
0: Yeah. Look, first off, for a comment just on change the rules, which I do think is fantastic well, it's all and right. badly needed. Um, but I, look, like a, like a lot of things in life, that we need to also address. Um, that unions, it's not just about unions being able to take industrial action to go on strike, but also go on strike for political reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, again, that's what I just saw in such a constructive way in the fight to end apartheid, to end the Vietnam War, was the role of unions taking on some very political action. So I think we need to bring that aspect into the
1: change the rules. But you, you raise... yeah um, Solid, just, Solidarity, so-called solidarity strikes now are legal, aren't they? Yes, you and I, I was
0: it. at a very interesting talk by Warren Smith, who's um, one of the senior um, officials in the M- National Office of the MUA, and he was asked a question. It was, an off, a, quest, it was a conference about BDS, boycotts, divestment and sanctions, to do with um, Israel um, for free Palestine. And he was asked the question, like, what action can you take considering what you did fighting apartheid? And he rattled off what the union did fighting apartheid. And if he said, in all that time, when we were, you know, played a leading role, which Nelson Mandela paid paid tribute to when he came to Australia and said the leading role that Australian unions played helped drive the international Mm -hmm. campaign. Uh, And Warren said, he said, When we did all that for South Africa uh, to fight in the fight against apartheid, we were never fined, no one was threatened with jail, we just got on and did it. He said, if we we, within one day we would just grind to a halt in terms of being, you know, the threats of jail, tied up in courts, you know, potential for hundreds of thousands of dollars of fines. Mm. So You know, and some people say, well, and it's true, like in Melbourne you had the fantastic Clary O'Shea and the big campaign, and a lot of that was fighting against illegal laws that were going to jail people. And I know there have been, and it's important that unions fight when there's a threat of going to jail, but I think there is a complexity with the laws these days that union officials need to think twice about how they're going to do it. So I do agree with the Change the Rules campaign.
1: The thing I like about the Change the Rules campaign is that, at, at the very least, it encourages workers to speak about mm. the rules that are imposed on them. Mm. Because you know, you, you talk—we're talking about different eras and sort of talking about the the neoliberal era. Where, where, yeah. When would you say that that began in Australia in the mid seventies?
0: Um, well. I I must admit, I think of it, I associate it strongly with Labor and Labor's- Oh, well, it doesn't. Yeah. So it was that period, Labor's elected in 83 and they lose office in 96. So um, particularly when you get towards the end of the 90s, uh, to the early 90s, um, is when it's strong. But it's like- yeah, I. It's a good question. I better go and find that out and get that num that um year, yeah, those years in my head. But to my mind, you know, like it's all capitalism. Capitalism is looking to make a profit. Neoliberalism is sort of particularly when Reagan and Thatcher come. You know, they start hanging out together. And that was very much what they were pushing in. Uh, it was their the self. electrified mm. love revolution <laughs> that
1: changed the world, wasn't it? I mean, pe- people don't. I mean,
0: they gave us some good posters. There was some fantastic the ones. There, there was one where Gone with the Wind. Yes, that was it. Thank you very much. <laughs> with so the, so the listeners know, with Ronald Reagan with who in his arms
1: with Ma- with Margaret. Margaret. I actually yes. think that it should have been the the other way around. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> have you have you ever heard the story? And I'm you know I I know people who dispute this um because i don't think uh, the baroness was a particularly large lady uh, mm. uh, i think she was slight uh, about your build mm. Um, you probably had more upper body strength, though. <laughs> um, but there's this story about Margaret Thatcher um, and the what is it, the Constitution of Liberty that was written by um, Hayek, yeah, right? Um, yeah, she and she loved and she well, she just adored him. And so the, you know, there's this story about her going into a Tory party meeting, hurling this quite large tome on the table and saying, "This is what we." live now (laughs) um i you know who knows whether Mm. she did it or not but she was um she was a woman who changed history yes yes for the worse oh yeah absolutely yeah Mm. absolutely and again talking about unions what she did to the
0: coal miners union oh my heavens yeah like it was ugly yeah, it was ruthless. It was ugly, and it was very deliberate, like closing all those coal mines. Um, and in this, and and it's a reminder that when you go out, when you have conservatives who go out to smash unions, you're also smashing communities. Because across England, in all those small mining communities, there was a very rich culture. And yes, I now spend a lot of my time advocating that we need to wind up the coal industry. But that doesn't mean that you don't support those people who have done so much to. You know, like run the industrial revolution, give us
1: what we enjoy these days, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know men and women that 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 you know built the prosperity that a few people on the planet get mm. get to enjoy yeah. i just um one thing that you said about um and you you know you say it very naturally because it's i presume what you believe um that well, it's capitalism, isn't it now. When you often appear, you often have appeared in the Australian newspaper as a mad (laughs) tanky and what have you, who's completely naive about economics and what have you. The thing that, would would it be fair to say that you have a view um, quite consistent with historical materialism? You believe that, you know, the way in which, people live their lives and the way in which they survive tend to produce or reinforce particular ideas? Would would that be fair to say?
0: Oh, very much sums it up, Helen. Um, I think Marxism, um, like Marx and Engels, came up with historical materialism, which is quite a brilliant explanation about the changes that society goes through. And I think touching on the um, questions that you were asking um, a little while ago in this interview about the rise of social movements illustrates that perfectly, like the, the, the conditions, the objective conditions of society yes. is what's uh, is throwing up these social movements yes. uh, in terms of, you know, it's getting to the point for young people that they're realising, yes, they can see, the you know, what the world is like, like we're, we're not isolated. You mean isolated. they face their conditions with sober yes. senses yes. To,
1: till at last they are yes. at one Absolutely. with their kind.
0: Yes, <laughs> and universe, uh, you know, globally, uh, and, and then they're, so they can see. There's this fantastic world. There's the gross inequality. And meanwhile, most of them have to pay for an education, um, which means that they'll go out into society when they leave university with a shocking debt. They probably can't buy, buy a home or find anywhere to rent reasonably public housing has been smashed uh, and the cost of living is soaring. Yeah. And meanwhile, there's the climate change and you wonder they wonder what is the future. So they can see both these fantastic opportunities and you do see, like in New South Wales, just a, to my mind it's relevant, um, they have this thing called School Spe- Spectacular where all the public schools come together. How the teachers organise it is phenomenally, yeah. phenomenal. And it always gives me a great buzz. Like here, they must be... 800 kids on the stage at times, like one of these, all doing these most beautiful music, beautiful dance. So here's the very best, you know, these kids have got the world at their feet, but meantime there's this other world that they're facing. They can see the contradictions in that, and that's something that historical materialism explores is the very nature of the contradictions in society, and it's something that we need to deal with because our differences, our contradictions is actually how we work out a lot of these challenges that we face. But if it gets to a point where the contradictions become so antagonistic, so difficult, nasty, whatever you want to call it, it can become destructive. Mm. And we're in the midst of that. And again, I go back to the social movements. And yes, I valued my time in parliament, but you're spot on. Parliament's just one tool in terms of social change. And we've always got to remember that.
1: The other thing that I wanted to uh, just briefly explore with you is this this idea, so, you know, if you do have a view, I mean, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doctrinaire about it and there are things that happen inside history, surprises that, you know, you can't explain in terms of the dialectic or whatever, you know, something just might happen and, you know, not everything can be explained. Um, so, you know, it's important not to be doctrinaire and all, all of that. But, I mean, it's one one thing that does irritate me is that, you um, People with a historical materialist perspective are so often thought of as, you know, hopelessly naive and as people who believe in a utopian uh, future and as people who believe uh, intrinsically in the goodness of all, which is not how I see it at all. I just see it as a, um, a way to... Explain m- m- and to move move toward the microphone, please, Sorry. Ms. Rhiannon, <laughs> uh, or is it Dr. Rhiannon? No, 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 just Just, leave, just But, leave. but, but uh, to to move toward um, an understanding about you know those those conditions that that form us, and I, look, I mean, really, just to get back to the idea of of of, of capitalism, it's not a story about evil men or evil people or, you know, or, or greed or anything kind of inevitable or about essential human failings. Just as you were saying, you know, even though clearly you're opposed to burning more coal or or seeking more, more coal um, and you would prefer renewables and what have you, what a person without, a historical materialist perspective might say is that, well, all renewables will be fine and they'll make a lot of money and they'll sort of just fit in with the economy as they are. But you would see the force of capitalism in it as itself having a particular quality. Like capitalism is something that makes people behave in a particular way and you don't really have any say in it, do you? No, you don't. And also,
0: uh, just again, looking at objectively, under capitalism, corporations—the the job, why they're on the planet—the job of corporations is to make money. Mm-hmm. How do you increase your profits? Again, that's what—if you're um, a shareholder that's what the the corporation the CEOs corporation heavies mm. when they turn up at those AGMs that they've got to tell say why the profits didn't go up that's what their job is is to increase profits how do you increase profits you increase profits by doing a whole lot of things but in the course of it it's also about saving money yeah. to increase your profits and what what's a big cost costs of corporations it's wages so therefore you're looking to cut wages um And when, as you've just described, we're at the MEAA, part of what we were just chatting about when we were coming in is about casual work. Mm. Also at the universities, we're not far from the universities here. You know, some of our universities now have 50% um, casual workers. So many corporations rely on a casual workforce. Why is that? Because it's cheaper for them. Yeah. Because they don't have to pay holiday pay. They don't have to pay a whole lot of conditions. So again, that's where why the working conditions of so many people, particularly young people, have deteriorated so much. It's because corporations are using that as a way to lift their profit margins, equally with protecting the environment. It's um, And, you know, people have fought hard to... Uh, Uh, improve environmental protections, but equally, you know, corporations, conservative governments come along and weaken those very laws. Why is that? Because it actually means that corporations can make more money if they don't have to follow so many standards, so many rules. Why do corporations take their business overseas to low-income countries? Because there's bigger profit margins Mm. because there's often few unions, you can pay less money, you can throw the
1: pollution into the rivers, you know, like... That's capitalism yeah. and they're in fact doing their job. And there may be occasional moments where, you know, a desirable thing for the, you know, the future of global temperatures may coincide or, you know, any desirable thing may coincide with business, but it doesn't necessarily have to coincide with business. Uh, say, for example, I, I haven't really spoken with you about this, but um you know the success of uh the independent uh m p Karen Phelps was widely lauded across the 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 nation as a win for uh green consciousness um now so I wasn't aware before uh that Karen Phelps had any interest whatsoever in uh turning back global warming um I understand, I don't know if you ever heard this, I understand that she um, was not a big fan of of bicycle lanes while she was on there. Did you hear anything about this?
0: Yes. um, While she was on the uh, Sydney City Council? Yes, it was reported that she voted voted against some bicycle lanes when she was on council and I think that she also may have put in a submission about bicycle bicycle lanes on one of these streets in Sydney, objecting to them.
1: Yeah, was that on Burke Street where her
0: clinic was? Yes, I think that that's the case. Yeah, Yeah. look, just on—we might disagree. Uh, Did you want to finish? No, 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 no. no. You go. Look, just on um, Karen. Like, um, there's a, a. yeah, different ways of viewing this, but look, I see her election. Oh, I've seen, and I actually live in her election. Oh my goodness! Yes. Um. Well, what is Tony? Her? Yeah. Um, no, uh, Mr. Turnbull's. Mr. Where Mr. Turnbull's gone? We've now got um Dr. Phelps, which is I think very good. I obviously voted for um one for the Greens. We had a fantastic ca- candidate. He's the deputy mayor and um. Indigenous. Did you follow the Greens official how to vote
1: card? Oh, I may. Or... I may
0: not have. I often don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I certainly voted
0: one Greens. Um and um and then karen karen came in look i think that is very important because it shakes up the two party system and like yeah there's you know different ways of viewing some of her policies but and uh, and issues around bicycle lanes um if the, what we've just described is correct um we need to take that up but i really think it's just so important to shake up the two party system in Australia certainly. At the but i mean so just that's a big plus. so
1: sort of but considering um her um de- declared um sensible centrist economics mm. right so she has actually gone on record and says that she will utterly support corporate tax cuts, for example. Mm. Um, So on the one hand, she is a proponent of what some people call trickle-down economics. Um, You can also um, describe it, I think, as supply-side economics, this thing that we're talking about with, you know, with um, Ronald and Margaret in the 1980s, um, some people prefer now to call it "suck up economics" rather than "trickle down economics," which I think is a, yeah. a, a rather nice yeah. description. Because I mean, you can call it deregulated in the free market or all, all you want, but there's a series of techniques in place that are called deregulation, but actually, you know, suck up m- money from uh, everyday people. So she, so on the one hand, she is very much into protecting great wealth, um, and on the other um, says that she will protect the environment. Those two things aren't necessarily always compatible. And this view, I, I find that, you, you know, people have this very natural idea that you know, capitalism is just the finest expression. Um, you know, it's not ideal, but, you know, to paraphrase Winston Churchill, as people often do, it's, um, you know, it's the worst possible system except for all of those other oh. ones which are, you know, more terrible and and what have you. But, I mean, there, there must be occasions where those two things don't coincide, you know, and, and attempts to monetize, you know, g- green policies haven't always been successful, have they? Oh, very much so. And we're seeing it in a
0: very sharp way right now with the urgency of cl- climate change. Mm. Like <laughs> the IPCC has been having meetings after meetings, what for twenty years more, and um, issuing warnings about how urgent it is. Did we... you read the last
1: one, which was about how I should behave better? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all well and good telling Helen not to <laughs> yeah. eat meat. Yeah, but, but I mean, well, this is why won't problem. they advise the cattle and dairy industries? Yeah. Well, well we, we, precisely. We, 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 what is that famous thing that Stiglitz says yeah. about, um, you know, a European cow? Mm. Um, a European cow earns enough in a year to travel mm. the world first class. Yeah. I mean, European cows earn a lot more, you know, per, per head um, than most of the people in the world in, in subsidies. So, I mean, what is the point in, in urging an individual to change? Oh, look, I think I often feel the IPCC,
0: and I acknowledge like amazing scientists, fantastic work, etc. But the the onslaught from climate deniers, um, and particularly in this era of Trump, has been huge and i think sometimes i just get the feeling that they have modified the strength of their messages and i understand some scientists have acknowledged that yeah. that in fact that they had watered down the seriousness of the uh, climate crisis that we're facing and we're seeing it r- right at the moment I, i'm sitting in melbourne i came from sydney where we in one day we got one month of water of rain yeah, you know, just washing down our streets, through our railway stations, through shops, etc. So it's happening right now. That's a classic case where capitalism, because there is a big unplanned a aspect crazy, of it, hasn't Like a hasn't done of it. Bangladesh was underwater yeah. last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, and this is the, and the Pacific Islands are going under. Like uh, all around the world, this is now being recognised that the emergency weather crises are part of how it how life works now. Why have we got to this point when we've been getting warnings for 20 years or more? Again, because capitalism isn't up to it because who dominates? The corporations. What are they on the planet to do to make profits? And they're short-term. Mm. Like, this is the essence of the problem. And again, let's be positive also, something happening. School kids in Australia are going on strike because they can see that it's yeah. not working and they're, they're walking out of their schools. Yeah. That That's what – they're, they're I the mean, things these, that give me hope. These, that's what gives me yeah, hope.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these kids, um, you know, who grow up with anomalous weather conditions being normal, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they don't even have memory of of, of anything else yes. as, as I do. I mean, yeah. I, I remember seasons in my extreme youth. Yeah, absolutely. I can
0: remember w- – w- uh, what I grew up in summertime was it'd be a really hot day, and then we'd have a thunderstorm at the end of the day, and a bit bit of a downpour to cool things down, and then off you go. And then there'd be a heatwave now and then, but that was pretty rare. It'd last yeah. for a few days. Be a bushfire now and then because it's Australia. But now, and they are, do now acknowledge that these extreme weather events are linked to climate change.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like Trump is. An ass clown, mm. um, to use the parlance of the young, mm. uh, and um, clearly a tool. Mm. Um, but I think to assign all blame to characters such as him is a little myopic because I think oh, that there are yeah, absolutely other reasons oh, yeah. that people are inclined to reject expert opinion, because there are so many instances throughout my life. I, I know where I've heard expert opinion about well you know say say for example um you, you know, we'll hear about the um exquisite 22 year period of uninterrupted growth of Australian GDP and um I heard um recently and I think I might have mentioned this to you there's a political economist who i, I whose who's, um, work I quite enjoy called mark Blyth. Um, from Princeton and he was also talking about GDP and some bloke in the audience um, uh, stood up and said, whose GDP are you talking about? That's not my GDP. And that's, you know, mm. the experience of most people. They mm. hear about the genie. Yeah. coefficient, not of yeah. the relative genie, which is the the better measure and mm. they hear about GDP and yeah. the necessity for growth. and, and they the hear, Eyes closed over. Yeah, mm. but, I mean, all of this expert opinion while your own life is turning to shit. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, unfortunately, that scientists are now understood in the same way that many other technocrats are. You know, I mean, people are just sort of like, sick to the back molars of hearing um authoritative information and it it makes sense right that people would start rejecting it it's unfortunate of course that science gets you know which is one of the finer achievements of 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 so-called civilization um, it's unfortunate that, that gets caught up, but you can understand why it would, right? Oh, look, very much so. Uh, you know, well, if you're
0: listening, you know, you're driving to work or, you know, you're a truckie or, you know, you're just trying to cook dinner, kid, cook dinner when the kids are writing, and you're also just hearing this once again on the news about, you know, the temperature's gone up, the scientists say this, and people come out, the climate deniers come out and bag it. Well, yeah, it's a bit of a turnoff. There's no, yeah. it, there's no solutions. Whereas 20 years ago, more than that, we should have been already rolling it out so it doesn't have to be discussed. Yeah. I think what the turnoff is, that nothing happens, because yeah. that's how it appears to people. Um, it's a battle between politicians and yeah, we haven't got much credibility. Or when you're a politician, you don't have that much credibility with oh, a lot shit, of people. No, I mean yeah.
1: no, nobody trusts yeah. well who used to be your mob. Yeah.
0: So I mean, what a what a bunch of turds. Yeah. Well, and that that there is it's uh, uh, something that I realised very quickly when I went into the job that people are deeply cynical about the political process. Well, and, I mean, why shouldn't they be? Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's a turn-off. And, again, that suits the system. It suits the major parties. Um, the less people, because they're still going to get elected, but if people aren't engaging, they're not co- copying so much criticism. It's actually well, it, for it, them. it
1: does not it doesn't. I mean, look at what's happened in the Bundestag, right? Mm. I mean, with the, the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats, mm. I mean, a party founded in communist principles, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, a party for which people fucking died,, yeah. are now with Merkel's, you know, racist, hoity-toity elitists, mm-hmm. and they're, they're having to form a coalition. So, mm-hmm. I mean, major parties all are, are falling apart mm. around uh, the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe not so much here in Australia, but, you know, our economic conditions are... Although if you look at the Liberal Party this week, I think you could say that. Yeah, but, you know, (laughs) I mean, the Labor Party are sort of coming up roses at the moment, aren't they? Well, you've had a fascinating result in Victoria.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, it's like, yeah, some people have described it to me that it was like Andrew sort of decided to follow the Corbyn book of getting out there. yeah. Is, Is that fair? Well, um, How you, okay, like well, free, I mean, I, I free can, lunches I, for kids, and sure, care but and, I mean,
1: I can you know, there's a lot of um people in Vic- Victoria, the Australian state, congratulating themselves on a recent state election result, which is Labor, our alleged Democratic Socialist Party, um, have you know advanced in victory, blah blah blah. Um, I think it's not so much a victory for Labor, but just like the sheer revulsion people have for the Liberal Party, Mm. which now, you know, there's these wacko, like unambiguously racist, fundamentalist, Pentecostal types, Mm. which... I think a lot of Australians find kind of not even alienating but just embarrassing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like... How did it happen? (laughs) We're not the USA. It's like, who are these fools? They are, you know, they... And, you know, there's a lot of people in Australia now patting themselves on the back that the racists didn't win. No, it's just that the slightly less ambiguous racists won. I mean, I, I can show you and, look, I will try to remember to put some show notes in this time... Um th- there are examples of Daniel Andrews playing um the law and order, the racialized law and order card um in the in the pages of of Murdoch press, yeah um exactly. and he he yeah. has certainly played the law and order yeah. card. I mean, I've heard so much about you know, I mean my parents rang me a few months ago because you know my suburb was reported as a high crime area where there were African gangs. Mm. There are no fucking African gangs. Mm yeah and uh, mm-hmm. you know you were speaking earlier um about you know there are kind of a few good things um about being uh older oh, yeah um because now you know this very kind of like racialized yeah. version of african gangs mm-hmm. um I can remember a time where it was triads and Asian gangs, yeah, Asian which gangs, also yeah. didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I've told before that, like when I'm young, and I would, I don't
0: remember that it was like a, Italian gangs and like you know, with each wave oh, of immigration, that different people are demonised. It's just such and, and a what it's about. Nonsense. It's again about power. It's about power trying to retain politicians working to retain power yeah. by trying to scare people.
1: Yeah, and. As simple as that, and dividing us from, yeah. from each other. Yeah, you know, um, so we don't share, um, you know, sort of any common understanding yeah. of being. Yeah, very much so. In the in the same boat. Um, you may not wish to talk about this, or then again, you may. <laughs> but the obverse of that, I see with a lot of people my age and slightly younger, sort of like older millennials um, and uh, Generation X um, type of people where they also value identity above um, commonality. And in the effort, which I know is a very polite effort to, and I mean, you know, I'm sure you've had this experience too. Like I want to, I don't want to be a turd. I want to be a nicer person. I don't want to alienate my mates by not understanding their experience. And, you know, it's, you know, would that I, could by the time that I die not be chock full of the prejudice inserted in me? Like at a personal ethical level, all of that stuff is good. But um, to talk about what you uh, you know you were mentioning the great um, efforts of the Australian Union Movement in um, uh, applying um, sanctions and protesting uh, the apartheid regime in um, in South Africa. Now a lot of these. Um, People on these picket lines had no previous experience with, um, uh, you know, people who weren't white, for example, but they learnt that experience in the struggle. Um, it was just like, oh, okay, well, you've got like similar problems to me. I'll offer you my my solidarity. But this, you know, especially with people, you know, my generation and slightly younger, the, you know, the flip side of uh, that coin, the the sort of the good side of it is like a complete entanglement with the idea of identity that prevents that coming together that you were talking about. Would you agree that that's the sort of obverse of this? You know, usually highly racialized language.
0: Look, I think the issue of um, I think what you're identifying often called identity politics. I believe uh, so. Yes, and look, I think. It's got an interesting history, first off, um, because I think from the left side, uh, the progressive movement, at times, you know, I've heard certainly women say, people with different abilities, uh, people of different backgrounds, um, said that they find it hard to um, work out how they can participate, they often do feel listened to, listen to etc. So I think in terms of being more inclusive and, um, is is very important and there's a lot to oh, address the word there.
1: inclusion the whole concept of inclusiveness is uh, Hashtag look, problematic. <laughs> <Don't>...
0: <laughs> so fair, fair enough. It's me trying to be positive, which I acknowledge often, maybe sometimes. But anyway, bear with me. So, so I acknowledge, uh, and no, and but quite seriously, I think at, at times um, that you know more could have been done on that. Having said that, though, Australia, like when you look at um, the Aboriginal movement here, um, refugees, migrants, etc., the old Communist Party and the unions back at in the last century were well, the ones on the front line standing up for land rights. So the, yeah. the left also did a fantastic job. So I wanted to acknowledge that. But to come to the issue that you're addressing is this whole issue, has identity lessened our chances of building social movements? And there's some really interesting work coming out of the States. Um, there's the work around black Marxism. There's um, a number of- have, right- you, have you read the Black Socialists of America manifesto? It's Fucking fantastic. Okay. Well, I, I maybe I don't know if I've read that one, but so some of it is certainly like it warms your heart. You feel oh. well. I wish I, I. wish I was there. <laughs> um, but but look seriously. I think you know. There's yes. I want to give people of all abilities and all backgrounds a go. But we also need to be
1: working together collectively. And the emphasis on identity... And if we're not working together collectively, then it does come down to giving people a go, which is not our role as white people. It's not not about including you or affirming diversity or saying, come on, come and have my privilege. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's Fighting for rights
0: together. It's fighting for rights, and it's building that political consciousness, um, and particularly that understanding of where power lies and what needs to change. Uh, and that's the critical thing. And the I think the dividing line here is when identity politics becomes about identity, which is individualism, and collectivism falls away. That's when we've got the problem. Yeah. So I don't mind. You know, like yes, some people will relate to want to fight racism more. They want to fight. Might want to fight on housing more. They want to might, might want to fight on you know gender issues more. You know that that's. I actually think there's positives in that. I want more people politically oh, yeah, active, but it's not thinking. Well, you know, my identity is what. If you don't recognise my identity, or I don't get a go to be elected to parliament, well, you're you're really a bad bastard, and you're just ruining. And you know, you're the, you're the problem. I see now it, that person's yeah. not the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what we've got no. to remember is that what what we're fighting is capitalism, not each other.
1: Yeah, and I mean th- this plays out a lot. Uh, in politics. I've seen a lot in your former uh, chamber, Um, even in recent weeks, where there is, you know, a lot of um, back and forth uh, about don't treat me like that in the workplace. Now, you know, just sort of thinking not as a media person or not as somebody who scrutinises politics, just as a voter, that sickens me. Like, I'm sorry that you have had a bad experience in the Senate on your $200,000 a year. But I'm fucking bored of hearing Julia Gillard's misogyny speech like turned over and over again. I'm even more bored by that than the insanity of the Christian right. And when politicians sort of try to, you know, acquire uh, the everyday hardships of real people,
0: really gets but yeah. it annoys a lot of people because, as you say, like it's not just that you know, sort of politicians are paid um, just on two hundred thousand, but we've got all this stuff, we've got all these resources, and I've got to say, people take, you know, they they ask you your opinions. When I was a politician, I'd be asked my opinions much more than when I wasn't a politician. Yeah. I'm still the same person, so you immediately see that you are putting a certain
1: class of people, which means it's privileged. It's yeah. really privileged. Well, I mean, it is genuinely privileged. Yes, but just to to, to talk about, I, I mean, and you know, um, like affirm and learn about cultural difference, especially if it involves, you know, people that you're, you know, emotionally entangled with or your, your neighbours or, or whatever. I, my bestie is a brown Muslim lady and i fucking constantly making mistakes, hmm. you know, like I'm Muslim-splained to her just the <laughs> other day. It was appalling. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I was a total Um, But this idea of um, privilege, right? Just the language of privilege, I find it kind of quite interesting. Like you say, um, you know, your white privilege or your male privilege um, or your able-bodied privilege, et cetera, et cetera. Um, to construe a simple thing like being able to wander around the street without being assaulted as a privilege um, strikes me as Peculiar. You you know what I mean? I mean, that should not, we should not use the language of privilege to describe not being assaulted. Yeah, no, I look like, you you know what I mean? I,
0: I agree with it very strongly. And also, what we're doing when you go down that path, you're actually negating dealing with the key privilege that does need to be smashed. And that is like where the inequality, like, you know, economic inequality is a driver of so much racism and sexism because that division, and you spoke about it earlier, of division because of people of different, that, you know, often um, you know, the ruling class wants to push. Um, really assists. Mm. Mm. You know, you, when people are divided, where ordinary people are divided because they um, are arguing about their identity or arguing about their, um, how, you know, well, you know, you've got privilege and why should you and, you, you know, you, you need to just back off. You're missing the point. Like, again, that point that we need to remember that we're fighting capitalism, we're not fighting each other. There's a really interesting quote from Steve Bannon, that um, shocking so-called strategist for um, Trump. When he leaves the Trump office after just 18 months in the job, he said, like, he said, I loved it, something along the lines of I loved it when they were talking about uh, identity politics because when, when they, as in he's in this case referring to the Democrats, were banging on just about racism, we could get out there and talk about, you know, all the economic inequalities that they push, et cetera. Yeah. So I haven't got the quote um, right, obviously, but my point is that he was there actually identifying that th- this sort of identity politics works for them. So it's, there's identity politics that's very narrow that against working in a collective really um, limits our ability to work in a collective way, and is really just a setback for the movement, particularly yeah. at a time when social movements are on the rise. Yeah. Social movements that are not just narrow but are really addressing society. The need for society-wide change. I
1: think I remember the Bannon quote, and it's sort of the liberal progressive obverse of that, and I'm not going to remember this quote uh, properly either, but at a rally during the primaries, Hillary Clinton says um, to the three or four people gathered, um, Bernie Sanders talks about breaking up the big banks. Is that going to end racism? And, you know, she encourages the crowd to say no. Is that going to end sexism? And she encourages the crowd to say no. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, to say that just eight years after the global financial crisis, which made so many uh, people of colour in mm-hmm. the US immediately homeless because they had been targeted yeah. for the first Time in the so called liars' loans. I mean, it, you know, the, it was bound to happen. They called them ninja loans, like yeah. um, no income, no job, but no asset. They started targeting black families yeah. in particular yeah. and saying, hey, would you like to take out and this? And that's n-
0: racism. That's the racism. Of course. That we're fighting. I, you know, and we should be fighting collectively, not y- using cheap slogans like yeah. that.
1: And mm. I mean, so, you know, break up, if we do break up the big banks, and we do break up, um, you know, the stranglehold on employment, then some of the awful effects of racism, and I'm not saying, I mean, racism is a very mutant, clever beast that has Mm. its own character that Mm. is not always in lockstep with capitalism. It's profoundly psychological by Mm. this stage. You know, what have we had 500 years of it? It's Mm. very deep. And so, no, you know you solve um economic equality, then no, racism is not automatically solved, but the real life hardships of it fuck yeah, yeah, they'll fuck off in an
0: instant yeah and 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 the reverse of that is without dealing with the economic inequalities, you're not you, you can't deal with racism, yeah. Yeah, you know, like yeah, you know, racism. Um, although you're spot on, um, and again, I'm referring to the black Marxism. It does um, challenge a lot of traditional Marxism in a way because it identifies uh, that um, many inequalities haven't just arisen because of um, what's happened with you know the exploitation of the working class. So there's some very useful analysis there, but you come back to the issue. Well, the main point, sorry, I meant to say there, is that racism um, has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's not going to just disappear if we're able to change the economic relationships. But my point is, uh, sitting within that, is that capitalism, many corporations have, and you saw this particularly under colonialism, you see it in many forms, where um,
1: corporate um, racism is used to divide workers. Uh, Ms Rhiannon. We've been banging on for about an hour. You've only oh. had to wave the bear at me once. <laughs> um what what will be next for you? Uh, look, I'm
0: just um I'm enjoying myself very much. You're on that healthy vegan diet? Yes, still, still. Um, And uh, working, um, still um, involved with various um, greens projects in different ways, which I enjoy. Um, Working with different communities, the Kashmiri community, Bangladeshi community. Um, There's some shocking um, situations um, in many low-income countries as there are in other countries, but often those campaigns we hear very little about here. So I enjoy working with those people to help um, elevate, amplify their voice. Um, I'll just roll out this year. I'll see what next year brings, but mainly I just like working with people and seeing what I can bring to their campaigns and working together. You've been listening to Knackers and the Vag.